0: Try to make things work with a partner who has different goals for the future. Stay in a relationship that's going nowhere. Maybe you're monogamous, but keep developing attractions to non-monogamous people. You give non-monogamy a try more than once, but end up frustrated and hurt each time. Or you want kids, but your partner doesn't. Everything else is working, so you stay in the relationship, secretly hoping they'll change their mind. By falling into these patterns, you're preventing yourself from finding someone who's a better match long term. Do you have trouble stating your needs? If you have a hard time speaking up for yourself, you may have a hard time getting all your needs met. This can happen in family situations, among your friends, at work, in romantic relationships, in everyday interactions. What about putting yourself down? People often set much higher standards for themselves than they do for others. When you fail to meet these standards, you might give yourself some pretty harsh feedback. I can't do anything right. I won't make it, so why should I even bother? Wow, I really messed up, I'm terrible at this. Whether you criticize yourself in front of others or have a habit of negative self-talk, the same thing can happen. Your words may eventually be taken as truth. Believing these criticisms can promote an attitude of self defeat and keep you from wanting to try again. Practicing mindfulness or non judgmental awareness of your thoughts and behaviors in the present moment can help. You want to share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery you can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others follow us on facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week so i challenge you recognize the crossroad and come to a complete stop Before you choose your direction, make a commitment to let go of past behaviors and be willing to embrace a new perspective. Challenge the negative narrative with, not today. Today, I'm turning left and continuing my journey to self-discovery. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone threw until the path was clear. That's when I found you how I wound up here. All I needed was a rock that I can lean on. All you needed. Me me ready for the road. Put me upon the rear day I'm me ready for the road. We no come for players. Some a touch a stage show. Fire does said Them never they know. KBO all around the place. No 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 yeah. This is the KBOO Full Strength Community Radio And you know it's Kabaka Pyramid representing and full dancing Baby rock family you don't know, Kingston, Jamaica, what's say Yeah, Portland
1: The following program is a rebroadcast Dates, times and events mentioned in the following program have already occurred Thank you for tuning in to KBOO Portland Good morning, this is Disability Justice, an Everyday Pursuit in Survival. Your host, John Griffiths. The following program uses strong clinical language. Listener discretion is advised. So in the studio with me today is uh, Kate Williams, Disability Equity Center, Director of Advocacy Supports. What does Director of Advocacy Supports do?
2: Hi, um, I'm Kate and I use she, her pronouns. And the Director of Advocacy Supports, that title makes me laugh in the most like loving and affectionate way for our disability community and the tendency to like give things these like quite dramatic names essentially my focus is working with other disabled folks to amplify our voices in the community increase opportunities to access art and life and community with a kind of specific focus on holistic or whole health and wellness so health which includes sex and living our values and relaxing and accessing opportunities that feel good so the director of advocacy supports me does a little bit of program creation and hiring of other disabled folks and looking for funding and connecting with the community, try to look for ways for more access. The title doesn't give a lot of information about what I do. And also it's just quite long and a little bit silly. (laughs) And that sort of feels true to what the Disability Equity Center or DEC is.
1: Well, you said you hire people with disabilities. Uh, I mean, what do you hire them to do?
2: Um. Well, so just to give a little background, so the Disability Equity Center, DEC, is a grassroots nonprofit and was started at the tail end of two thousand nineteen. So cool time to start a nonprofit, like right before COVID and right before sort of our whole way of structuring ourselves with each other changed. Um, and it was started by a group of disabled people living in the Willamette Valley who um, yeah, we're just looking for an opportunity to be with each other in a way that was honest and not apologetic and also cultivated opportunities within the non-disabled community to do those things too. So we're primarily a nonprofit that's comprised of disabled folks. So most of the folks who sit on our board of directors are disabled. And right now, all of our paid employees are also disabled people. Folks are doing kind of all different things. So I'm in my role, which is, looks a bit like an a traditional nonprofit, what an executive director or program director's role might look like. And then we have disabled folks who are creating opportunities for health and wellness spaces and education. We have an art community and a music community. And we're looking to, yeah, just kind of continue this intentional nonprofit space that exists outside of maybe the models that came with previous generations of like disability rights groups where the focus is disability, but the leadership is non-disabled people sort of telling us disabled folks like, Oh, this is for you. Oh, this is for you. And we really want to do it from this disability justice frame where our leadership and our direction is by us, by disabled folks. So yeah, people are doing a little sprinkling of everything right now from grant development to program implementation to a few hours of access audits with, with businesses in the area and with other nonprofits. It's really cool. I basically I'm hanging out with disabled folks like 99% of my time now and I
1: love it. So you're telling me you're hanging out with people with disabilities who are activists within the community and you guys are socializing or you're actually doing activism or you're doing a combination of both?
2: For me, I'm like, what is that line, right? Like as a, as a woman with a developmental disability and a person who's kind of never f- found a lot of like authentic space in a social community or in a work environment in a way that didn't feel like a little bit of activism to like make it work or just like a whole lot of pretending, it feels like like our socializing is sort of activism in its own right. So when we meet for a wellness event or we meet for like watching a movie in a pool, like while that is an act of like social engagement and community, it's also this act of like defiance, right? Because a bunch of disabled people are not supposed to be getting together in public and then getting together and like not acting like children. Like we don't have babysitters. We don't have non-disabled people telling us what to do. I know, shocking. Can you handle it? Um, So even that. I I mean, you know, um, you've got me really
1: kind of curious because I I never was aware that there's actually potentially, you know, a place to sit down and like talk activism or, uh, you know, talk advocacy with somebody else. You know, I mean, most of the time, if you're in if you're in advocacy, you're out there and you're participating in some kind of activism event uh and you don't really have time to like interact with the other people around you so you don't really get to know anybody uh and this sounds like this might help like uh, us activists actually stop talk to each other and kind of like I mean, it sounds yeah. like that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I might be going off on the wrong direction.
2: No, I'm totally into it. No, I mean, I think that is my hope for it. I think that's my goal for it. Previous to working for DAC, for the Disability Equity Center, I worked in disability spaces and And because it wasn't staffed by disabled folks, I don't think there is a lot of understanding of like, for me to sustain the hard parts of activism, not like talking about just like basic rights to experience pleasure and joy, and also like have food and a place to live. It's like, I I think we really, I need that balance of like knowing that I have a community holding me with love and grace to do that hard work. And I think also acknowledging that the experience of disability can't just be a battle against non-disabled systems. Like, I think there has to be something that I felt I needed more to like sustain myself in doing it. I needed to feel connected to my community. And I also think for some of it, it, there's a part of activism for me that felt for a long time, like coming up against this system that's run by non-disabled folks, pushing for a non-disabled way to be like, this is the way that you need to work. It needs to look like this. And this is the way you need to experience joy. It's limited to this. And this is the way that will sort of allow you to have relationships. And I couldn't really dream of something beyond that because I was just inside battling this like black and white way. And it was, I felt like I was losing all the time. And I felt like I was with a group of folks who were like me or like me and that they were completely different and strange and rad and wonderful. And it just wasn't working right so we're like trying to like fit into this non-disabled system that we're never gonna fit into and trying to like ask these non-disabled folks to like give us crumbs of things that aren't even the right things for us. And there's something for me that feels really cool about like, like just screw all that. Like, I don't, I don't want that system. I don't want that non-disabled system. I don't want that black and white way of being. So let's call in other disabled folks and let's just sit with each other and think of a whole new way. And, hold that time i think to dream about what that way can be so yeah i think for me that like community piece of being an activist feels so vital because i don't think i knew what i was really advocating for or really fighting for until i could sit with a bunch of other beautiful weirdos and like realize this way doesn't serve any of us but there's this new way this way that we can build together that's that's amazing and gives it all a shape that feels good does that? I don't know if any of that existed in like clear communication and how much just existed in my weirdo brain but
1: yeah well uh, thanks for giving us that information I am wondering so do you guys have any events coming up do you have any I was also wondering like are you a team of one or do you have multiple people in your team
2: so I'll do the second question first <laughs> so It's a team of just a wonderful group of folks. The thought of doing this by myself would make me cry. (laughs) And I'm like, always want to, I think all of us are always trying to like cultivate more people to do this with. So it's very much has the goal of being non hierarchical So a flat structure of organization working towards a really just even balance of power within the group. And we have five folks on our like formal paid to do this work team. And then we also have our board and are presently building our self advocate advisory group. So that typical nonprofit structure has, you know, the staff that works for the nonprofit. And then they're also directed by a board of directors, which often in the disability world for disability nonprofits, those are not disabled folks. Those are, and pardon my not use of able bodied because I just have to throw that out the window. So, non disabled. So, typically, a board of directors is non disabled folks, and they're sort of making these big decisions about the work of the employees and then also, you know, the impact that the community has. So, while it's required to have nonprofit status that you have a board of directors and board of directors, you can't pay, as you know, you sit on Lots of boards and do great work, John. But our dream is having our board of directors, because we have to have folks in this role and our staff, but then having this additional piece, which is our self-advocate advisory board who can be compensated and who can be comprised all of disabled folks with a real specific lens on black and brown disabled people, queer disabled people, those multiply marginalized folks that Marginalized folks that don't typically have a lot of say. And then what would happen, what will happen is then our self advocate advisory board is our decision makers. Our board of directors are just kind of giving everything the once over stamp of approval in that official capacity that you have to as a nonprofit. And then our staff is implementing that. Um, and I would say, probably across our team now, we have total about 12 folks, and we are definitely, I'm definitely. Looking to like add more folks into our staff, looking to build our board, which would be non compensated. And those are really just like typically, we have some disabled folks on our board and then also just like really strident, badass allies. And then looking to also invite folks to our self advocate advisory board, which is compensated. And luckily, I'm not doing any of this on my own because. I have lots of parts of myself that are really thriving in this position. And I also have a lot of parts of myself that need support. Just like the way my disability presents, numbers turn into different numbers. (laughs) and Time is imaginary. And um, it's really cool to sit in like the honesty of like how my brain is. And say I'm gonna just full force run at these things. And then also we have these other humans who have different strengths and they are gonna run full force at this other stuff. And we just meet together as a collaborative or a collective and and do it. And it keeps changing. And and then as far as events coming up, we have a couple things on the horizon. We are going to publish our first zine of art and writing and just amazing creations from disabled brains and the brains of allies and community members. And then we are supporting an artist, a disabled artist in the community to have their first art show. Um, And that's coming up in November, which is going to be wonderful at Turn, Turn, Turn. We have recurring art and music meetups and those happen Our art meetups are, this is my brain trying to like navigate things orderly. So there's an imaginary calendar in front of me. So our art meetups are on the first and third Wednesday and it's a collective and um, we meet from two to four. It's completely free. We offer supplies to the Disability Equity Center and for leadership, however, folks want to take that on. So just a space to be and create and share ideas and, and have an art space that sees disabled artists with the same dignity and respect as they would see a non disabled artist. So you don't need to have a non disabled mentor to participate and you don't have to, you know, have the activity led by someone whose presentation of brain is more like. Length- with neurotypical than not. Um, and that space feels really good. And then we also have a music meetup on the first and third Mondays of the month. And those are at Turn, Turn, Turn. And it's an opportunity to make noise together as a community, share ideas, collaborate, really just centered on music. So it isn't a class taught by a non-disabled person. None of the things that we offer are going to be that. And it is just sort of like a free space to create. And then, yeah, all of our events are free. So I, I think that, for me, that's a huge part of equity, is it doesn't cost money to participate, because that can be a barrier.
1: If you're doing all this for free, things always cost money. I mean rental of space things like that I mean you've got to have some way of bringing in some money do you have donors do you have a donation site do you yeah I mean how
2: are you raising the money for all of this we got a really really incredibly generous grant from IHN and it's lovely because part of What we're offering in return is we're training their system about disability justice and accessibility. So they funded, are essentially funding our first few years. And then we are identifying other funders that are aligned with our values. And then, yeah, we will be pushing this winter, this late fall, early winter, we'll be looking at a little bit more community fundraising. Um, But we really just, it's felt, John, like so serendipitous and lovely that we found some folks in the community that really support what we're doing and have kind of generously offered us a way to do it. You use some alphabet soup, I-S-N? Did I get that? I-H-N. It, it's a health network system that houses the Samaritan Hospital system. So it's just a network of health providers. And that's, I believe it's the IntraHealth Network. Okay. They're really committed to doing some internal work on how they're serving the disability community and kind of identified like, wow, this is something that we need to do better. So we've done some trainings with them around disability justice, about increasing accessibility, about how to offer more meaningful supports to disabled folks, because as I'm sure you know, the health inequities are pretty intense, they're pretty gnarly. So folks with disabilities are, we die sooner, uh, we have more experiences of depression and isolation and more tone access, um, preventative healthcare. And often folks with disabilities are more likely to have health insurance and less likely to go see their doctor. And that to me is like so telling about the experience with sort of traditional health models. Most folks have the ability through insurance To be accessing preventative health and contacting their doctor more and also i think talking to most disabled people you're going to hear a pretty isolating frustrating dehumanizing experience that you've had with a doctor not being heard um being treated like a child being dismissed so it's really cool that with this funding for my gen but it's really nice to have this funding that's helping us work in community and, and build a space for disabled folks. And also for them to acknowledge like, wow, this is a gap in our service and we want to use the expertise of disabled people to get better.
1: Yeah, so I noticed you talked about health and gaps and you'd also uh, talked about sex and kind of like in the beginning. And yes. uh, you know,
2: um, when it comes this is to- my I favorite say, topic
1: <laughs> with disabilities. You can't use the, I mean, most people, if you, I don't know. It seems like we're always kind of stuck in 1950s mode when it comes to that. To yeah. The oh, and yeah. Especially if you have a disability as, you know, people with... Uh, who are disabled are not supposed to be sexual beings,
2: and uh, you know. But you can be a sexual deviant, so you're completely non-sexual or so hypersexual it's out of control. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know, um, sex is as a healthy mental or, you know, I mean, sex is a part of relationships, and relationships is part of healthy mental, not only healthy mental but also healthy. Um, Physical.
2: Yeah. As well.
1: And I'm just kind of curious are, are you guys giving educational classes around sex? Or are you guys giving educational classes around relationships? I mean, you mentioned that before, and yeah. I'm curious where that is. Yeah.
2: So that's actually inclusive, access, accessible sexual health and wellness education. I was like, my thing, it's so vital. And a social justice, amazing human who I love was talking about like the three things that uh, reduce anxiety and it's plants, pets and orgasms. And that's universal. That is like the most human thing. Touch serves us and touch soothes us and reduces our anxiety. And it's it's really important part of being a human. And I think an experience that is not empowered in a lot of disabled folks. And then Multnomah Health did this just really illuminating survey of young disabled folks, disabled teens. And so all this information coming in, like you can't have this and you shouldn't have this experience and it's wrong. And also disabled young people are having sex and largely they're having sex without contraception and also sort of disproportionately like are at a higher risk of experiencing sexual violence which sucks and all these things in my mind go together right if you're never given an empowered way to know like pleasure is available to you pleasure is your birthright you get to experience pleasure and you can have human connection and you can have joy and and sexual experiences but I think when that experience of like doing it with dignity and knowing that you also have the right to enjoy those experiences, that those experiences should feel good in your body and in your brain and in your heart. And I think when you're told like these things are just not available for you, it makes it really hard to know what it should feel like and what it can feel like. So,
1: I mean, as a person with disabilities, you always feel isolated because you're not allowed to participate in the normality of, Of normal or normal society, or however you want to term that. You know, I mean, through sex comes relationships, through sex comes children. You know, I mean, these are all things normal people get to have, but oftentimes when you're a person with a disability, you're always isolated from that aspect as because you know I mean people just don't see people with disability doesn't matter if it's sex or I mean it doesn't matter if it's intellectual or physical as being attractive
2: yeah well and I think because of that for me it, it kind of disrupts this power that we have of like who wants I don't want to have non-disabled sex I want to have the sex that feels good for my body and that's disabled sex and it looks different and it feels different and it's awesome. And I love it. And also, it took me a long time to like not feel isolated in those experiences, like nothing else really, and like how my brain works has been typical. So of course, my experience of sex and pleasure isn't going to be typical. And that's cool. And I love that. And I think, yeah, there's so much strange sense of like removal of power for disabled folks to say like, this is basically a non-disabled experience. And if you get to interact with it, it will be in this non-disabled way, right? But like like so much of everything we do it's going to look different and be beautiful and wonderful and frankly I think like way cooler <laughs> than this model that's out there. But we do need to empower people with disabilities to know that these are relationships they can have. So we had our first group of folks come through kind of a modified version of a sexual health and wellness program called friendship and dating and it's a frame that links relationships with sexual health and sexual wellness and also just understanding some of just like the nuts and bolts of anatomy which sometimes isn't available to disabled folks either it was awesome it was really a lovely experience and And it kind of, we're gonna keep offering resources around this, again, free. It was offered through Zoom. My thought, and this is where I'm sort of like identifying new resources, is that it was a great framework. And it also really centered the idea that in order to have sex, and in order to have romantic relationships, you had to do those things in non-disabled ways. So you start a romantic relationship by making eye contact. And then you have this kind of touch and you say this kind of thing. And it's in a space with a bunch of neurodiverse people who are like, this doesn't feel good to me. I don't enjoy this experience. And that's not the only way this can work. Like you can do things the way that work for your brain and body. And of our facilitation team, we were about half disabled folks and half non-disabled folks. We did it in a partnership. And then we're looking at, um, as we got to the section that was looking at anatomies and bodies, they were non-disabled bodies. And they were drawings of anatomy that like, on the um, body with of vulva and breasts instead of like the female anatomy there was pubic hair like there's more there's more happening there and we need to be more concrete I think in offering tools of like bodies can look a million different ways and so that's my hope as we move into the next phase of teaching this as we start to present different bodies Um, And then there's also sort of a a thread that was woven through that really elevated this idea that penetrative penis and vagina sex was like the pinnacle of sex. However, there are way more queer folks in the disability community than there are in the non-disabled community. And also like penetrative penis and vagina sex is one piece of this like beautifully multifaceted puzzle of what sex can be. And there are these wonderful options that are available for folks and particularly not relying on this like presumption that in order to have traditional penis and vagina sex the two people having sex, one has a penis, one has a vulva. their bodies sort of fit in this way that non-disabled folks have like elevated as the best way to fit. And it also um, sort of like denies the validity and pleasure of other ways to have sex and ways that I think of as being non-disabled or being disabled ways to have sex and are just as powerful. And for pregnancy prevention, way better choices. And I think when we ride this this train as we're educating young disabled people about sex that still elevates non-disabled sex as the model. We're really denying true disability pleasure and joy, which is, you know, doing the things that work for your brain and body and connecting in these authentic and new ways and not sort of saying over and over again, there's only one way to be and it's non-disabled. And the reality is if you're a person with disability, you're never gonna be able to do that the right way. You're always gonna be failing and that sucks. And it's not true. And the coolest people I know are disabled people. And I think the best sex people can have is disabled sex. And I think the coolest conversations are disability conversations And I think we need to, with sex and with wellness and with community, start to look at creating new spaces That we're building with disabled people. And yeah, and it's really cool to do that with sexual health and wellness and do it very much from a frame. And I think this rides through a lot of what the Disability Equity Center does and very much inspired by Adrienne Marie Brown and the wonderful work that she does, which is saying, like, we also need to center in pleasure. There are so many experiences that we can and should be having, and we should do them. I wanna do them with the knowledge that I get to feel good like things can feel good a person with a disability has every right and should be experiencing pleasure and joy and that's in eating food that you picked and is prepared in a way you like it and working with a support team of folks that you respect who respect you and having sex in a way that feels good for your body and feels connected and has any resource tools you might need to include to make it a more fulfilling experience.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kate Williams, for coming into the studio and for, um, you know, being with us. And we hope to have you back. And can we also get your contact information?
2: Yes, thank you. This was so much fun, and I would love to continue the conversation. So my best contact is through email, and it's kate, K-A-T-E, at disabilityequitycenter.org. That's the end
1: of Disability Justice. Since we cannot be fully aware of everybody's difficulties within the community, we would really like it if you would send us your email, disabilityjusticeatkaboo.org. You are tuned to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming on the web at KBU.fm.
0: At KBOO, we accept many kinds of vehicle donations. We accept fuzzy vans, broken cars, zippy scooters, seaworthy boats, well-worn farm equipment, family-sized SUVs, old jet skis, and